the Where to Hunt podcast. It's okay. 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 Hi, I'm Dan Small, host of Outdoor Wisconsin, and I listen to Where to Hunt. Nah, it's okay. I'm Kurt Geyer with Working Class Bow Hunter. I listen to Where to Hunt podcast, and it's decent. It's decent. Uh, it's all right. Hey, this is Bud Fisher with Catching Deers, and I think the Where to Hunt podcast is all right. Hey, Greg. How we doing? Doing good. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Where to Hunt podcast, the podcast that connects public land hunting enthusiasts, aka the OKS podcast in the Midwest, coming to you from the OKS Hunter podcast studio. You can save yourself 10% off uh, at OKSHunter.com by entering in code W2H podcast. Be sure to go check those guys out. You nailed it. I, yeah, I didn't mean to. That's okay. It's just going to happen. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us for another week. We just are rocking and rolling, and deer season's getting closer and closer. And Closer by the day. Oh, my gosh. It's like Velvet Fest. I'm seeing trail cam pictures and videos everywhere. Like, it's it's getting close, dude. I, although, I'm such a jackass because I hate early season because of mosquitoes, so it's an awkward thing for me. Yeah. Are you doing otherwise? It's a good week so far. It's only Tuesday. It's only Tuesday, so it's hard to tell, but so far, so good. All right. Well, that's good. Uh, let's get to our, let's just call it some sponsors. Look, these guys help make the show a thing. Uh, you know, our first sponsor is Backwoods Grind Coffee. Whether you're at work, in a tree stand, or simply waking up, it's important to be alert. And there's no better way to get there than with Backwoods Grind Coffee. Ground fresh for every order delivered straight to your door backwoods grind coffee uh head on over to backwoodsgrind.com if you want to smell their website it does smell like coffee be sure to enter in code w2h podcast to save 10 percent gumleaf usa gumleafusa.com if you want to try on their boots you're gonna have to buy them uh, these are not like big box store boots you're gonna have to take our word for it that they are very comfortable very durable uh, they are 80% natural rubber. The owner is pretty interactive. He really is. So if you if you message him through that any of this, Jack. Yep, if you message Jack through any of the social media pages, if you go on their website and hit him up with an email, he gets you fit pretty well. So I'm not too worried. I wouldn't be so concerned. I mean, you get them and you don't like them, well, I guess you got to return them. That's just the way it is. Yes. Just don't go trunch around the mud if you, you know, try them on first, right? When you get them in the mail, and he'll right. help you out. But uh check out they have a couple different options so you know the the field wellies are good for early season the royal zips and the vikings are good for late mid-season yeah yeah um late season probably not if you're trying to keep your feet really warm when it gets really cold it's not going to be a great fit but entering code w2h 2020 and you will get 10 percent off we'll save you some money yeah yeah vector custom shop is all you greg because you got their hat on yeah so if you're interested in checking out a pretty much custom built to your spec type of arrow built and made out of heavy carbon uh, rocking the ethics insert outsert system up front um, go check out vectorcustomshop.com 
Um, you can get them weighted anywhere from 45 to 175 grains in the nose of those things. Um, fletch them up for you. They got a really cool wrap on them. Um, you can get a test pack if you want just to try them out uh, with a different spine. Uh, I tried the 300 and the 250, and I'm actually leaning towards the 250 now because the thing flies like a dart with hmm. with a little bit of a little bit more weight up front, and the bow is really quiet with that heavier arrow. Ooh, so interesting. So if you're interested in something like that, go check out the the, the test pack. If you're pretty confident that you you're going to be stuck with a 300 or a 250 or whatever spine you want, go with a half dozen or a dozen. They'll, they'll build them up for you, and they'll fly great right out of the box. And when is their round two kicking off? Uh, end of the month here, coming up, I believe, the 27th of June. They're going to have round two of ordering uh, okay. just because of the way things are being held up with COVID. Yep. So uh, go check them out, VectorCustomShop.com. If you decide to order some, uh, enter the code, the word WHERE, Number two, and the word hunt. So where to hunt will get you 10% off VectorCustomShop.com. That's good stuff. 10% is 10%. Uh, we're also doing a giveaway, and they're included in that giveaway. So the giveaway, entries will end. No, no more entries will be taken after excuse me, the 29th of this month. We're going to draw the winner on the 30th. So, I mean, it's pretty gracious that we're letting people in all the way up to the, the very day before uh, all you gotta do is go to our Instagram page, click on the link in the bio, and there's a tab that says giveaways in all capital letters. That'll take you to our Patreon account. And if you sign up, it's $5 per month. Um, we'll send you a sticker and a koozie for signing up for that. And then you'll get entered to draw for a chance to win uh, Vector Custom Shop Arrows, six of them, half a dozen, and some Backwoods Grind Coffee, some Venado swag, some OKS Hunter swag, and a tethered Phantom saddle. So pretty good lineup for this first giveaway. It's just one winner take all. Uh, but we're doing them every three months. The next one will land uh, at the end of September, and we'll announce as we start to work out some partnerships and deals for the next one. But they're going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So that's what that is. Cool? Cool. Let's bring in our guest. Today on the line with us is AJ LaQuinta. Hopefully I said your last name correctly. He is with Knights of the Apex, a.k.a. Kota. What up, AJ? Hey, guys. Yes, yeah, uh, Quinta, like the UFC fighter. Iaquinta. See? I, dude, I just can't get last names right. Not like the hotel. <laughs> I'm sorry, buddy. I apologize. I don't blame you. I wish it was LaQuinta. I'd get some free hotel stays when I'm traveling. That wouldn't be the worst. Mr. LaQuinta is in town. I'll take the suite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's great. How you doing tonight, man? Where where are you where are you out of? You're down south, right? Doing great. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm down here in Florida. I'm originally uh originally from up in New York, but uh went to school and relocated down here to the, the sunny south and I'm in the Tampa Bay area. Nice. Awesome. Good fishing area. It is. I, uh, that's one, one of the things I haven't dipped my toe into. I've got uh, a bunch of the buddies in kind of our crew are big fishermen and uh, I'm a bit of, uh, I tend to get very obsessive about things. If you follow the page, you probably yep. know that. So they're actually afraid to take me fishing. Cause they're like, dude, we can't handle like you going deep on another hobby. So we just don't have the patience for it. So I think they're, <laughs> they're purposely refusing to take me out with them when they go fishing. That's all right. 
It is another obsession because I've I've got an obsession with it too. I go out in Lake Michigan fish for salmon, and I I get pretty fanatical about how I run things on my boat. So it's it's easy to do. It's easy to get carried away if you got kind of a technical mind. Yeah, you do good though. You, you I could for sure see that. I don't think you were too terrible, but um, that's a whole nother topic, <laughs> dude. <laughs> Holy cow! Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, AJ, and then a little bit about the brand, and uh, yeah, then we'll just kind of go from there. We do have a topic we'll get into, so I'll let you take it away for for a little bit. Yeah, definitely. So I, uh, you know, I grew up hunting upstate New York, came from a family of hunters. My grandfather was a big hunter. Dad was a big bow hunter. Uh, his friends were, were bow hunters. So that was, that's definitely who I emulated. I didn't really get into the, the bow hunting uh, side of the house until after college, right? It's one of those things where, you know, you, it, you need a lot more dedication and a little, little jangle in your pocket to, to really kind of go deep um on that side of the house it's much easier to to you know just kind of tag along with your buddies uh with a rifle once or twice a year but uh once you know once i got into it i i got real deep uh into just working on my own equipment simply because i i was getting frustrated being reliant on uh shops and equipment anybody who's had to order things or, or research stuff online knows that it's hit or miss. I think we definitely live in, in a time where information is a lot more prevalent, but as little as like five, six years ago, it was really difficult to find uh, even quality sites or uh, resources to tell you how to kind of work on things and fix things up, proper shooting form, stuff like that. So um, the page Nights of the Apex just kind of started with me wanting to just share my own experiences and hopefully help some people avoid some of the pitfalls and wasted money that I had experienced. Um, Cause I grew up in, in a blue collar family where, you know, it, my dad taught me to take care of your tools and you can't always control what's going to happen throughout the day. But if your gears all squared away, that's one less thing to worry about. Right. That's, that's one of the variables that you can control. So I'm always big on taking responsibility so much for my own gear. You know, it, that just helps me that much more. It gives me that much more confidence when I'm in the woods. So um, now I think it's, it's kind of funny because the, the page has kind of been become known for some more like the, the photography aspect of it, which is something that just sort of like evolved over time. Uh, just I just wanted to take cool pictures of the gear that I was working on. Um, and it, it just kind of became a fun hobby for me as well. You've, you've kind of um, the organic growth and kind of the pivoting of that seems like it makes a lot of sense. And the photos are great. I mean, it was pretty clear out of the gate that, you know, I don't know if it would, would it be okay to call you a gear junkie to some degree? Like, is that an okay description? Oh, 100%. I mean, I, at, on any given day, I was a kid that like, I had a constant, I had a Christmas list 365 days a year, <laughs> right? Like I, I always like, I, I was always looking through magazines and researching stuff and had like photos cut out and you know, it was, we, we weren't like poor by any means growing up, but like we didn't have unlimited income that, you know, my family was just, you know, could just buy top of the line stuff on a whim kind of deal. Um, you know, so now like to be able to be able to afford some, some more like nicer things. And uh, what you kind of learn over time is a lot of this stuff is worth investing in. Um, but I'm definitely a gearhead. Like right now I'm building up a, an AR platform, which is something I haven't, 
it's been a couple of years since I, I really was involved in the the whole uh, gunsmithing and stuff like that and, and shooting. And uh, I'm my I'm driving my wife crazy right now, researching every component possible. Um, so yeah, calling me a gear junkie probably an adequate, uh, accurate term. Good, that's good because that's one thing that I'm not. And so, and Greg, you probably fall somewhere in between. I think you share a pretty similar mantra of like squaring your gear away and, and making sure you're prepped. At least, you know, that's what I've gathered in the short time we've been together right. doing this stuff. You, you like, yeah, I mean, I'm a firm believer in taking care of your tools so you can do the next job efficiently. I mean, there's nothing worse than going to a job. You know, I'm a tradesman, you know, from back previous to my pre my, my current job. And if you don't keep your tools in good shape you go to the next job you need that tool and it doesn't work or it's gone you're you SOL yeah you're you're improvising mm-hmm. it's not always pretty yep so you need to have all your gear no. squared away and uh, and ready to go keep it reliable so that's how it all started though it was uh, a, a need for like doing some stuff on your own saving some money to a degree and and learning the craft and the trade a bit. So you really, at this point, it sounds like you're not, you're not dependent on or relying on like an archery shop to do almost anything for you at this point. It sounds like you got everything you need. Yeah. I mean, I'm fortunate that the the local shop ventures archery that, you know, they, they have some good techs in there and it, it's always the, you know, I'm not anti bow shop by any means. I think they're, sure. they're the watering hole. They're kind of, they're the lifeblood of the archery industry, right? It's where we all start out and where we all kind of flock to and can get together at. Um, but there's, you know, not all shops are created equal and, you know, through the growth of the page and just getting to communicate with people, not just in the U S but across the, the planet. Now um, guys in Europe, Africa, Australia, not everybody has access two great bow shops so I, I and also when most of the time when you're on a hunt you definitely don't have access to a bow shop so i think the more you can take responsibility for your gear and the more work you put into it um the more self-sufficient you'll be and the more confident you'll be because you also know the parameters that you can kind of get away with like i was the guy that i never wanted anybody to touch my bow because it was good right like don't touch it don't look at it um you know it's good it's like i don't want to think about it and then like if something got even nicked a little bit you were panicking like is it going to shoot okay kind of deal like if you're in the stand at that time whereas now like if you cut the strings off my day off my bow the night before a hunt give me an hour or two and and i'll be good to go the next morning it's it's just one of those things where you know your system inside out you've done it enough times and um, you know, you know, like what your, your acceptable parameters for what you need to be prepped. Sure. And we've all had bad experiences with shops. Like I can remember one of my earlier bows, I, I needed a new string put on it. So I took it to a certain shop that was quote unquote reputable, which they were not. They put a new string on it. And then the guy proceeded to tell me that, you know, your rest is wrong. This is wrong. That is wrong. I don't know how you could hit anything with this bow. So then I got it back and started shooting it, and I could not get that thing dialed to save my life. And then he just I brought it back to him and said, look, I can't hit anything with it. Well, it's got to be you, and it's got to be this, and a lot of excuses. So needless to say, I never went back there. I sold mm-hmm. the bow and bought a different one and went to a different shop altogether, which it's the one that's, that we go to now, Whale Tails down in Dousman. It's a shameless plug for them. 
but they're great. You know, I walk in, they know exactly who I am. They know what I'm shooting and they know what my expectations are. And they got good techs there. They, they take good care of us. So, uh, I don't have all the tools to tear my bow down, you know, and get it down to the axles to flip the top hats or do anything like that. So I rely on them to get it squared up. And then I work on knock tuning my arrows, which is a painstaking process, Mm -hmm. but it's what I can do. (laughs) And, and that's one of the things that, you know, one of the big things I try to get across with like all of the posts and the content that I put out is everybody's got a different, uh, threshold for what they're comfortable doing or what they can do within their budget or, you know, even their technical skill set. you know, people that don't come from a, a trade kind of mentality, you know, it, it, it's an overwhelming task to, to work on their own bow. It's a complex piece of engineering, right? And even something as, as something that becomes as simple as like arrow building, it becomes simple over time through doing it. But you know, I know plenty of guys that are straight killers that are relying on a bow shop and they're good enough just picking a package of arrows off the shelf, shelf, cutting them, screwing some broadheads in, you know, and they kill more stuff every fall than I do. So, you know, I, I'm very reluctant to criticize what works for certain people. Right. But at the same time, if you're somebody that does want to take responsibility, just realize that there are tools at your disposal, there are resources and also the, the number one thing is definitely making sure that you're squared away as a shooter first, because if you can't hit the, the broad side of a barn with a well-tuned bow, well, then you're never going to be able to tell if it's your bow, if it's your arrows, if it's a component, because your shooting form is so inconsistent. So if you're not, you know, I'm for the, the purposes of this conversation, like I'm going to assume everybody knows how to shoot because um, there are guys way more qualified than me that can talk on that subject. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there, I, I think we've all been there with, with a shop where, you know, you just, you don't know what you don't know and you can't, you're not even sure what the next step should be because you're, you're just going off of the feedback of somebody else. Right. <clears throat> That's kind of, I'm that guy. <laughs> just, just full disclaimer. I mean, hey Greg, will this work in my bowl? <laughs> well, I, I like what you said though, that the foundation is you know, the form of the shooter and making sure you got that down as a basic. Uh, and then as we know, cause we've talked with, you know, the ranch fairy, um, you know, it's good to know from that point forward, like you said, paper tuning and, and bare shaft tuning. Not, yeah. Knock tuning yep. and working your way into paper tuning, you know, knock tune, get it to hit plumb first and then run it through paper and see what it's doing. All right. Real quick. This seems like the perfect spot to, to take a quick break for th- the shot of the week. All right, this segment of the show is brought to you by Vector Custom Shop. If you haven't already, and we've called them out at the beginning, we do it every single episode, please go over to vectorcustomshop.com, browse around, take a look. They're gearing up for another batch or uh, shipment, their supply chain. Uh, you know, was not impervious to the mighty COVID, but they've done a great job navigating that. So if you want to save some money on their arrows, whether that's a two-pack test kit or a dozen or half a dozen, you can use code where the number two, the word hunt and get yourself 10% off. Uh, these arrows are built to your specs, uh, custom built to your specs, and uh, they will arrive at your doorstep. And it's based on a whole bunch of factors, but some of the ones that I like to call out are going to be your draw weight, 
uh, your draw length, the type of animal and style of your hunting. Those are some things that they're going to ask you uh, to inform your arrow build. And uh, there's a little bit more than that too, but that's the gist of it. So uh, go check those guys out. Let's get into our shot of the week. Okay, so our shot of the week this week is me because uh, it's been really a hectic work week overall and I didn't line someone up to get a story. So if you want to be featured on the shot of the week, just drop us a message on any of our social platforms and let us know if you have a crazy shot, close, far, uh, you know, crazy, wild, dumb, awesome, whatever. Just uh, hit us up on, on our social channels and uh, Greg or I will get back to you and we'll get something recorded. It's pretty quick and easy and it's a ton of fun and you get to be on the podcast. My crazy shot was my first ever bow hunting experience in the Nicolay National Forest of Wisconsin. It was freezing, freezing, freezing cold outside. Actually, no, it wasn't. That was a different time in Nicolay. My bad. Uh, it was fall. It was bow season. Hello, Eric. Uh, busy, busy week. I um, went down this logging trail and got to a spot uh, to put my hang on stand got up there and you know the logging trail is actually in sight and i was being kind of lazy if i'm being completely honest i was pretty young uh I don't know what, like early 20s or younger or something and i heard you know these footsteps coming and i'm like oh gosh it's probably another hunter it was two bucks um nothing super big but uh, definitely shooters for me especially since it was my first time ever bow hunting i had my darton uh, dual cam viper with aluminum arrows and um they stopped one of them stopped to take a leak and so the other stopped i probably could have shot both of these bucks at once but i grabbed my arrow and it or my arrow i grabbed my bow and it was upside down <laughs> so uh i slowly and fluidly kind of rotated it to right side up had my arrow knocked and uh, went to draw back, but I had like, you know, the rubber stopper on my string and I had my release above that. So when I went to draw back, it went zoop, right up the string. And uh, I finally, you know, then I, you know, undid my release, put it on in the right spot, drew back. And at this point they were too far gone, oddly enough. And I think I kicked something down my stand too. It clink, 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 the way down. These bucks are so young. They never heard me. Uh, but by the time I actually drew back, they were out of range, at least for a new bow hunter. It would have been uh, an unethical shot for me. So I, I, you know, let off and that was it. So I got the heart pumping, the blood flowing, and I was not totally prepared. I had only been in the stand for like maybe a few minutes and it, and it happened pretty quick and I was just not prepared. I wasn't totally settled in. So that was my first ever uh, learning experience. So the shot of the week accounts for <laughs> not taking a shot. However, what I will say is that if it's uh, not an ethical shot, it's not worth taking. And if you want to be more confident in the ethics of your shot placement and kill look vector custom shop uh they put a big punch behind their arrows so and additionally with this week's episode with knights of the apex i mean this is a really well-rounded episode about tuning your bow and your arrows to take ethical kills let's get back into our interview with knights of the apex um, and then that's going to involve tuning on the bow side of things because you can't you can work some of it out by adding more point weight but you can also, there's a couple variables when you're talking a compound bow. Yeah, and, and it also depends. There's so many things, right? So knock fit is one that I think gets overlooked by a lot of shooters, yes. right? They assume just because their bow is timed properly or set up by a shop that it's good to go. Um, 
you know, and not all shops know how to, how to set, not all tuners know how to set bows up the same, right? Um, knock fit something that I think gets overlooked by a lot of people. Um, when you knock your arrow on your string, you should be able to twist that arrow without your peak twisting. There should be a little bit of give there. Um, and I, I know with a, a, a lot of guys that like, I just help out at the range or that, that reach out. Um, that's one of the things that goes overlooked a lot. Uh, and also knock travel. They don't tie in their knocking points. And that's something I see a lot of shops overlook is they don't tie in the knocking points. So, you know, over time, you're serving, your center serving. It's probably with most bows, it's probably going to stretch or move a little bit. But if you have those knock points tied in, it's much less likely to shift or shift in, in a way that's going to have like a significant impact on your arrow flight drastically it'll happen gradually over time to the point where you might not notice it but also it gives you just that reference point if you tie in a knock where if you pop a d loop or something or you just want you need to replace your d loop which you know everybody should be doing every couple hundred arrows anyway you don't have to re-paper tune you don't have to retune your bow again just because you swapped out a d loop um, and those are two very simple things that everybody can learn how to do they're just very simple knots um, there's countless videos out there, uh, and that's something that you can maintain, as well as even just doing your own center serving for your knock fit. That's another thing. Delby's got a great video talking about that. Levi Morgan's got a great video as well, um, as well as, like, countless others. And that's something that you can do on your own with very little tools, and um, just that can have an impact on its own as far as, as uh, your arrow flight. Absolutely. The... Uh... They did that with mine. I had a, a new string put on, uh, trashed the zebra string, and put on an AVB because that's what our local shop recommended. Uh, it's a better string than what comes on the bowl from the factory, and they did all that for me. And remind me what bowl you're shooting again, Greg. Sorry. Yeah, no, it's a Halon 32. Yeah. And with the new, with the newer, um, I forget off the top of my head if the halons like this, but I know with the triax and forward, Matthews designed the bows so they're incredibly easy to set up. Uh, the way I, I, I've set up more Matthews than anything else, and the they're probably the most simple bows in terms of like logistically at knocking points and whatnot to set up because the Matthews run off of a symmetrical cam design. And the, the arrow release point, Matthews designed the riser so that the arrow fires directly through the center of the riser. So if you're looking at the riser horizontal or vertically, the arrow should be passing directly through the middle. Like if you were to fold it, um, what is it, hamburger, hamburger fold or hot dog fold, I forget what they taught us in grade school. But um, if, if you folded the bow in half, right, the arrow would fire directly through the center. So when you're, what a lot of guys do is, uh, they'll go when they're setting their knock point or their arrow height, their rest height, I should say, they'll set it up off of the burger buttonhole, which for some bows, that's the, the way to do it. For the Matthews, there's an easier way to do that. You simply measure the midpoint of the cams and that's your knocking point. And then you set your rest off of there so that your arrow is releasing with a, at a 90 degree angle from the rest. And I've got a couple of videos where like I talk about this, um, but it's very easy to set up, especially if you're running an integrate rest, because with the integrate rest, they have hash marks machined into the riser. Right, on it's, a, it's a dovetail that's machined into it. Has, yep, 
and it's actually zeroed out. I'm looking at a VXR28 that I just set up for a buddy right now. This bow, I had it set up. I put new strings on it. Um, and because same thing, the zebra strings, Matthews does a lot of things great. Strings just isn't one of them. Um, but I put new strings on, on them for, for a buddy. It was already tuned before. I put the knocking point in the center. The rest is zeroed out, right? So it's running directly through the center. That thing was paper tuned right out of the gate. It, with the Matthews, it, the way I, with every bow, the way I like to line things up, and this, this, is, this is most bows like 2016, 2017 to present, because before then you had some riser flex in some models, um, which kind of threw some things off. But sure. with newer bows, the riser designs are so stable and so um, robust that they, they're most efficient and they want to be fired down the middle. So I'll look at the bow with an arrow knock, with an arrow knocked, right? And the rest up, I'll look at the bow from like an aerial view, top to bottom. And I want the point of my arrow lined up with my limb bolt, lined up with my cam, right? They should all be in line with each other. If I go to paper tune and I'm getting a hard left or right tear and all of those things are lined up, then that's telling me either something's off with the bow and on the Matthews, it's usually you have to swap one of the top hats. I've noticed if I swap the bottom top hats, that usually sets me straight if I'm getting a hard left or right tear. Or, and this is another common thing, your grip, you're torquing the bow and you might not even realize it. Sure. And this is another thing that I see with a lot of guys. And this, this is the only thing that I'll, form is very subjective. If you look at target archers, the best target archers in the world, other than achieving a surprise shot and a consistent anchor point, other than those two factors, they all have slightly different form, right? It's subjective to your body type, to your setup, to the arrow you're running, to countless factors. But if, and now I'm forgetting where I'm going with that, but if, but uh, front grip, the, if, um, if, you know, the, a, a really quick check you can do to see if you're torquing your bow is when you're at full draw, just glance up at your top cam. If you can see your bowstring running on the outside of your cam track, well, then you're torquing your bow. Sure. And a lot of guys don't realize that they're torquing their bow. They'll hand me the bow and be like, dude, I can't get this thing to paper tune, you know, and then I'll go to shoot the bow and they're hitting le legit. I'm talking a foot left at 20 yards or a foot right. And I'm, and I'm looking at their site and it's sitting two inches off of their, their center line of their riser. And I'm like, well, dude, you're, you got to adjust your hand position so that you're not torquing that bow. Right. Um, and that's something that, that gets overlooked by, I think probably more people than, than, a, than a lot of us would kind of recognize. I agree because I even see it too, my inconsistencies in grip and, and part of it's a mind game. You know, you can, you can mm -hmm. really mind screw yourself, um, you know, trying to go through a mental checklist and then you look at something and maybe you don't have the people lined right, or maybe you're not putting your nose down far enough or something. And then, then you start to torque your bow to get, get things back in alignment so you can see down the peep. And that's when things go bad. I mean, I've even done it while not. Absolutely. Too. And, and that's the Matthews bows are phenomenal, but their their balance is a little wonky. They're top heavy bows. Yep. Um, it's why you see guys running all different sorts of stabilizer setups. It's and the other thing you have to take into account is I know for me personally, under stress, the first thing, or if I haven't been practicing a lot, the first thing to go is my bow grip. My hands will tighten up and tense 
before anything else, especially like in the cold. And another thing that you got to remember is for most of us, right, we're not shooting animals on a flat range. We're Never. shooting at a tree stand. So you, you don't just want to check, am I torquing my bow shooting on a flat range, but also try aiming that bow up and down. See how, it, how the bow wants to react because you might have to adjust your grip a little, especially if, you're like, if you like to keep your quiver on your bow. Well, now gravity is pulling that if you're uh, a righty, gravity is pulling that right side of that bow a little more when you, when you lean that bow down or right. up than it was when you were just flat on. Right. So not only is it you got the weight of gravity pulling down, you also got it canting to the right, which is really going to screw things up. Yep. That's why I don't hunt with my quiver on. It always gets hung up. And I, I, I seem to shoot better with that heavy bow. Because it is top heavy, I can I'm aiming down, and it just seems to I seem to hit what I'm aiming at most of the time. I hate stabilizers on that. One hundred percent. I'd like to actually rear weight that bow somehow. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. And, sorry. Yeah. And I, I was just gonna say, you know, I've seen um, with the Matthews, especially, you see guys running all sorts of different stabilizer setups. I I shot a verdict all last year. Um, I ran just a, a front bar. It was the the Matthews flatline, and I had a, a an angled. QD mount on it just to bring a little bit more weight lower. Um, and then I added just a stack of weights on the back mount. I didn't want to run a back bar, but I kind of regret not running one now because I've tried a couple of buddies and uh, it seems to balance a lot better. Um, but that's something too, like when you start, that, that's it, there's so many variables, right? And it's really finding just what's right for you and what gives you the most confidence because all of these things change your system. If, you know, those guys running uh, sidebar, back bars and front bars and, and a ton of weight on there, um, that's actually changing the impulse of the bow through the shot process. Uh, and it can even change the torque of the riser uh, and the vibration going through it, which can actually impact where your arrow goes. And that's something that some guys don't take into account either. Um, you know, if you, if, if your bow was tuned and you throw a whole new state, like if you tuned your bow without any stabilizers on there, and now you threw a, say a six inch back bar with four ounces on the back and, you know, a, a 10 inch bar in the front or a 12 inch bar in the front with two ounces or whatever, three ounces, whatever it is, you might want to repaper tune that thing again. And just, and also check to see if you're torquing it because you may be getting different arrow flight out of that bow with all of that weight now introduced to the bottom of it. Sure. And that's part of the fun of working with compound bows is there's all sorts of little things that you can change. It's like a rifle, a finely tuned rifle. You know, a lot of subtleties, a lot of technicalities a and, and a small thing can make a big change, especially as you, you know, increase your distance between you and that target. And I think that's the reason why you <laughs> see a lot of guys just buy whatever off the shelf. And if they can hit the target in decent fashion at a certain range, they're good with it. They're going to run with it, and they're going to go kill a bunch of deer. Yeah, and, and that's important, too. I mean, most of us, right, when we're hunting, we're talking about, what, 30 yards and in, you yeah. know, may, depending on what it is, maybe a little bit further than that. You know, when, when we start talking a lot of this stuff, especially with stabilizer setups and the torque input and things like that, you're, you're talking about a, you're not really going to see a lot of those effects. Um, especially when like arrows, right? FOC is a big thing right now. 
a lot of the effects you're not really going to see until like 50 yards and out. And even 50 yards is kind of shallow. Um, so it, it's, you know, it, it's all, what are you looking for and what are you using it for that? I mean, there are a lot of guys that obsess over this stuff and they never even want to go hunting. They just really enjoy shooting. Sure. Um, so it's, yeah, there's a lot of, folks you know, everybody's that are, got their, that are just in archery, right? That, Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just say there's a lot of folks that just shoot competitive archery and they never deer hunt. And it seems like that can be the gateway into hunting. Um, then there's guys like me that mm-hmm. don't compete with archery and just hunt. I should have at the range with my bow that I take in the woods with me. A lot of these guys, like they have two bows, one for tournaments and one for hunting. I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. Where does that money come from? <laughs> what do you mean you have two bows? <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but it's a hobby for them. To yeah. And, and yeah. I'm, I'm running into more guys that they like. It's almost like in the, to compare it to the gun industry, like the guys that love, the tactical stuff, but you know, they're not on a SWAT team or they're not in, they've never even been in the military, right? Like I'm, I'm finding a lot of guys in the archery industry too, that they love the hunting bow setups and they love being outdoors and being in the woods and shooting 3d, but they don't, you know, they're, they're, they may, they have no aspirations to really go hunting. Maybe someday they will, but for right now, they're just content with like, their goal is I want to go shoot a total archery challenge or, you know, I, I just want to have fun shooting my 3d league, which I think that's something that like, I hope my page and I hope more, like more people kind of become welcoming to, because if we can, we need bodies in this sport, right? Like we, we want to see this whole sport grow because it is the gateway drug to hunting, right? And, and to at least getting people around a table to have a conversation about hunting. If we can all come together around like gear is cool, bows are cool, being outside is cool, right? Then it opens up those conversations of like ethical hunting practices and conservation and, and things like that. So, you know, to me, like I, I, that's one of the things with the pages is, is I really like, I, I enjoy the photography aspect of it because if my photo shows up on someone's explore page and they click it and they get hooked on like, this gear is cool. This looks like a lot of fun, right? Maybe that's the avenue that this person gets introduced through hunting um, through that way. Right. And by promoting tuning your gear, working on your gear, having hands on your gear, um, and accuracy, that's one of the big proponents of ethical hunting, being accurate, knowing, Mm -hmm. having full confidence and knowing that that arrow's going where it's supposed to go. If you, if you do everything right, because you don't have, you took the the gear part of it out of it by doing all the work off season, tuning your bow and tuning your arrows and, and practicing with all of that. And what's more satisfying than seeing an arrow arc at a far distance and hit what you were aiming at, right? Like that's just a fun feeling. That's well, a great feeling. Yeah, it really is. Uh, one of the comments that just came through from Jose, he said he has a buddy that has two competition bows and one hunting bow. He said, I don't know why, but I don't know why three, but he does. And he said he shoots a ton of 3d and indoor leagues. Yeah, I mean, it seems some guys like, just love to yeah. kill foam. Yeah, they, they they have a blast. You can do it more often. Yeah, you <laughs> that, can. that target's going to well, be there. And, and the cool <laughs> thing about it too is the ammo is reusable unless you're really really sure. group and tight or you have yeah. a couple of whoopsies. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah, arrows aren't cheap. No, I mean they're not expensive either, but they're no, certainly no. not cheap. And my dog is barking at something. I don't know if yeah, you can hear that. What is he doing? Total disruption. Sorry. <laughs> and that's all. 
No, good. That, that's that's a whole other thing too, right? Is is arrows? You know, if, uh, I think um, that's something that I'm I'm happy. I like to focus on a lot. One because I think you know you you hit the nail on the head. It's they're not cheap, but they're not expensive, and that's one of the probably the least expensive ways that you can drastically improve the uh, effectiveness of your setup. You know, you can take a a mid-level or entry-level bow and with good arrows get great performance out of it. It's kind of like, you know, with rifles, you know, you can take a Remington Model 700 and with good ammo, you can hit, you can, you can make some awesome groups with it, right? Absolutely. Same thing with bows. You can, most of the bows these days, if, if you have a properly tuned arrow, you can really get the most out of it. 100% agree. It's a process I'm working through right now. What arrows do I want to use? What spine? I got two spines I can shoot pretty good with, and one needs a little more weight in the front, and the other one is just a dart. It, it works great, and I'm getting pretty excited to to get them finished up, built, and and start throwing some downrange. I think you know what you had said earlier, AJ, about you know someone cut the strings off my bow, and I'd be good in a couple hours and confident by the next morning. I think you know there's a big gap in terms of the spectrum of people's uh, competency around, you know, having that skill set if they're a bow tech or something like that versus the lay person, you know, what's a good place to kind of start down that path? If, if you want to buy some of your own equipment to do these things on your own, like where, what's the entry point? Arrows. I, I would 100% point people towards get a bits and burger jig, you know, and start fletching your own arrows and start playing with your own you, you, that's it's a great way to just start because you know you can mess with different vein combinations and wrap combinations and and with the everyone you know especially when they start out you're always messing with new broadheads it seems like when when you first start hunting for whatever reason right you think everything that comes out is going to be the the latest and greatest sure um and you know messing with that combination with different veins you'll learn a lot about your setup and what it likes and what groups tighter and what doesn't. And, and it's a great inexpensive way to start getting into tuning. And then you can work on friends arrows and things like that. And, and that's how like some of the ways I, I got some of my tools was, you know, I was building my friends arrows to the point where, you know, as a thank you, he bought me an arrow saw. He's like, dude, I, I like, you're going to build all these anyway. Let me just get this for you because it's going to cost me the same amount to pay the shop to build as many arrows as I buy every year. So, which was a win-win, right? Right. Um, but I think arrows is a, is a great way to get started because it is inexpensive. You can mess with it. And just like, just like with the bow, every, right. There's a diminishing rate of returns for everybody. Like some guys, you know, they go super deep into their builds and they're floating them in bathtubs and they're spine <laughs> testing every single arrow and, you know, they're, they're cutting them to different lengths. I'm, I'm kind of more in the middle as far as like my philosophy on building arrows. I've got, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm partnered with Easton and I know their product line pretty well and just the different bows that I, uh, my buddies tend to buy and that I tend to set up. I know you know, within a couple of different setups, what is going to get me the best performance with those arrows. Um, so I, I kind of, you know, I, I don't go as crazy deep as some people might, um, but it's just that I think arrows is a great way for anybody to get started. And then from there with the bow and, and the other good thing is Bitsenberger jigs, they're never going to go bad, right? It's a no. metal jig. I've got you know, one, get one of those. It's a very, I've, I've got one yeah, that it's, it's it, a root of, 
I'm going to, I'm going to say it's probably as old as you and I might be, might be <laughs> wrong, but I've, my dad had it. My dad had two of them. And that's what I would do is spend summers. My brother and I would re- be wrecking arrows with our recurves all the time, you know, shooting them into the dirt or launching them through the target or, you know, off the target and into a tree or whatever, but knocking fletchings off. And, you know, and my dad would buy 2117s by the dozen boxes of them because him and I loved to go out in the yard and just shoot. And I would spend summers repairing arrows or just stripping all the fletchings off, cleaning them all up. And, and put new fletchings on. And I spent hours throughout the summers as a kid behind the bits and burger jigs with... It takes a while, too. you got to wait for that glue to dry, right? Tight fletch glue and, yep. yeah, all that fun stuff. So, yeah. but that that jig has gone through dozens and dozens of arrows and still works just as good as it did, you know, when it was brand new. And that's the nice thing is you got to look at it as it really you know, with this equipment, it is an investment. Like, right. you know, the, the next things when, when I build a bow, I don't, I really don't use a ton of equipment. You know, if it, when like I do videos and live feeds and stuff, like there's, you know, people are like, what's the gear list. And I'm like, you just saw everything. Like there's nothing, like there's no hidden tools. Like even no. with, you know, the, the press is the big purchase for everybody, right? right. Like nobody wants to, sh- to fork up the money for a press, but you can find an easy green press on sale. If you're just patient, you know, for under that, that four, 300 to $400, I forget what they're retailing for right now, but you can find them on sale or with free shipping or something. And once you have it, I mean, the thing is welded steel, right? Like it, it's not going to go bad. Like I have it on a $20 wooden burrow, um, burrow brand uh, horse from Home Depot, right? I've, I've built up dozens of bows with that thing. I've had it for a couple of years. It's, it, it's the basic model, but you don't need anything more than that. You know, after that, like you can actually get away even without having a draw board if you just have a buddy that's willing to like spot check that your cams are timed properly as you draw back, right? Like I had my, my wife was my spot checker for about a year until I could save up for a draw board, right? Which the LCA one just slides right in. Um, you know, I, I like keeping my stuff kind of simple. Uh, another good thing is a scale, right? For checking your your poundage. One of the things that um, I tell people to check regularly when they're getting ready for the season or as seasons change is that their axle to axle is still within spec to just measure that with a tape measure and also check your poundage to make sure you're at the same poundage you were before. Um, because with a lot of strings, they will stretch in different climates, right? Or, or shrink in different climates um, or just over time. Uh, I know for me, you know, I, I was shooting a bow. I showed up to, uh, I shot the Vermont Total Archery Challenge, probably the best shooting I've ever done in my life. Showed up to the one, the Utah event uh, about a month later, and I was hitting five yards low, which didn't make any difference, uh, any sense because the elevation was so much higher than Vermont, right? And nothing had changed on my bow, and it was driving me crazy. I kept, I kept hitting low consistently. Um, and then sure enough, I was almost a half inch out of spec axle axle wise. And I had lost three pounds of pulling weight. Um, you know, and had that been a hunting situation, I would have shot low on, on an animal and would have missed an animal, you know? Um, so that, that's one of those things that like, you just keep an eye on same thing with like your servings, right? Keep an eye on your servings, make sure that they're not wearing out. They're not starting to fray. Um, you know, just a, a little serving tool. I think they run like 15 bucks, 20 bucks. Um, you know, you can do that even without a press, you can reserve your center serving, 
um, which is probably the serving that most people are going to have to redo most often. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, that's a cheap thing. That's one of those things that like nobody ever really masters doing servings. Even the, the best guys in the world have to like redo theirs like two or three times sometimes to get that perfect knock fit. Um, you know, but that's something that you can mess around with with your, on your own. It's inexpensive. Uh, and it can really just, it gives you that extra confidence. Um, you know, you pop a D loop or something shifts when you're traveling, you can do that on your own and just quickly, you know, paper tune it and make sure you're good to go. Right. If I have any bow questions at all, <laughs> do you get a ton of messages of people just asking you questions about their setup? So many. It's, uh, my wife has become extremely jealous of my DMs. Uh, mine too. The amount of attention that, that yeah, I give them. Mine too. Uh, <laughs> but not for that reason. <laughs> Different reasons, but same, same thing. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not talking to another girl. I'm just talking to another dude. Uh-huh. She's like, oh, you're talking to more where to hunt people. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> calm down. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I do. And I think that's been um, it, the really cool thing about the page that was completely unexpected is what the growth for sure. But um, the relationships and the messages that come out of, you know, people hate on social media all the time. And my experience, especially since I started Coda has been nothing but positive. I, I mean, I'm literally on any given day talking to fellow bow hunters from South Africa, Europe, Australia, all across North America. Um, you know, and, and we all feed off of each other and we've all got different tips and experiences and it, it's just such a cool thing. But yeah, I get, I get messages constantly and, uh, you know, the page is still small enough where I can, you know, put time in and, and I enjoy talking about this stuff. So I I usually give pretty detailed answers. I'm sure at some point I probably won't be able to do that anymore because, you know, it'll cost me a divorce, but for right now (laughs) I'm gonna, you know, I I really like talking to people as much as possible because I I am a gearhead. I I love hearing from people and, and what they're going through and, uh, you know, there's more gear than I could possibly test out there. So, you know, you probably get along great with the vector guys with their, with their product lineup, with with the arrows, with the vector custom shop guys that, that promote the podcast, uh, or sponsor it. Yeah. I haven't gotten a chance to try their, uh, their products yet, but I've, I've heard great things. I know that, um, Rob from Rattler grips, he, he loves their stuff too. Um, and, uh, yeah, I've, them in, uh, yeah, ethic archery too. I know that, uh, you know, a lot of guys have been, have been pointing me in that direction. I gotta, it's, gotta just, uh, you it's know, good stuff tinker with them a bit. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's tough when you got somebody like as big as Easton working with you already too, you know, you got quite a bit of product to choose from there to, to play around with, but I think you're probably shooting them the best of what they have to offer when it comes to the arrow, the access arrow, I think is probably one of their better ones, in my opinion. Well, and that was, that was honestly like a dream come true and just such a blessing that just sort of happened. You know, I, I grew up watching my dad shoot aluminum carbon Easton arrows in my backyard. Right. Um, you know, and, uh, and he was an old school kind of bow hunter, right? He was shooting compound bows with fingers, Dan Fitzgerald style, right? Sure. Like he, that's, that's just how him and his buddies were. And, uh, you know, the Axis arrows were the first like high-end arrows. I, it was a pack, it was like six hand-me-down arrows kind of deal. Um, and that's what I took my first gear with and I just kind of stuck with them. And then uh, the, our page started around the same time that Sever did 
uh, and I didn't even know that I, I was I was a big fan of those broadheads and uh, just kind of talking to their social media person, not realizing that uh, they were a uh, subsidiary of Easton. And uh, just through them, I kind of met some of the different people and we got linked up. And, you know, for whatever reason, I think we had like two or 300 followers at the time. And the, the pictures were garbage. Uh, you know, it was, it was like grainy cell phone photos with terrible lighting. And like, I can't believe they like, you know, saw any potential <laughs> in the page at all. But, you know, they've, <laughs> they've been uh, super supportive of just what we're doing. And, uh, you know, just the, the content that I've been putting out and, uh just uh, just opening kind of doors for me, and you know, I I, I owe them, you know, just uh, just a ton of uh, appreciation for uh, for supporting me. That's super cool, man. What but a yeah, great that, story. Yeah, that's the one brand I'll I'll fanboy over. <laughs> sure. <laughs> they well, gave you, yeah, they gave you a chance. They you gave know? you your big shot. Yeah, it's and, cool. And uh, sounds like they're kind of part of the family, so that's that's a great relationship. And, and there's a lot of companies like that in the industry, right? Like there's, you know, and that's the great thing about this industry too. And that's it, that I love about it is, you know, there are great people making great products. Um, you know, it's funny. Cause like, if like, I'm, you know, if I review another stabilizer or something like that, like I can count on getting a message like, dude, do you not like me anymore? It's like, nah, man, there's just other stuff. Like I can't, you know, <laughs> right. Um, you know, it doesn't mean I don't like your stuff. But <laughs> You got to spread the love. Yep. It's hard to do sometimes. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it can just kind of ebbs and flows. Um, we, it sounds like we should probably continue this conversation on another episode sometime. I think we could probably flesh out even more here. And, and I'm, I'm glad you gave us kind of a, a good takeaway. If you want to go down the gear junkie path to start with the arrows. I used to flesh my own arrows when I had aluminum arrows with my dart and Viper dual cam it was a hand me down for my dad. And he's like, you know, here you figure this stuff out and this is your bow now and it's killed plenty of deer. So I know it works. Uh, you just got to learn it yourself. And, you know, I graduated onto uh, a single cam bear. Um, great. Now the name's escaping me right now. Cause I'm freaking brain dead. It's been <laughs> a long day. Empire. It's a bear empire. Um, very quiet. And now I'm shooting the vector, the vector uh, custom shop arrows and learning and learning and learning and learning and fine tuning and, and things of that nature. So a lot more confidence nowadays than I had back when I started. And, you know, I enjoy a, a dose of this stuff, but I don't live it like you do. And I think you've added a lot of value for the audience. Um, you know, at this point, I want to hear, I want to hear someone of your caliber of archery and how you've traveled and done so much target. What is your most memorable hunt? <laughs> Well, yeah, the, so that's, that's quite uh yeah, maybe an overstatement as far as like tons of traveling and stuff, but yeah, I, uh, you know, my, my most memorable, memorable hunt, sorry. Um, it's still my first buck that I got with the bow, um, which was actually my first year with the bow. Um, you know, it was, it was after college. Um, and I, I put in, I was working in Manhattan and, uh, hunting family property in upstate New York. And uh, I was, you know, every Friday I'd get off work, I'd immediately drive up as like a two, three hour drive and uh, up in the Catskills. And, you know, every free moment I had, I was, I was up and I was in those woods and there were two bucks that, uh, you know, we had chasing a group of does around on cameras and uh, I'd had some close encounters with them for a couple of weeks. And finally one night I had, uh, I had one of them, um, it was the biggest buck that I'd seen on that property. He came up 
he was about 60 yards through some thick stuff on the right and he, he took off and he walked away from me and I grunted he did not care he just kind of kept moseying along the way and from the other side came the the other buck that was a little smaller and uh well actually it was, it was a lot smaller and he was chasing three does and he chased those three does I, my my stand was on a was on a, a pine tree on a hill uh so he came behind me and it was a steep hill so he was almost at level with my feet right like and he was only 10 yards behind me he chased these does right behind me i remember that the doe stopped and looked at me and it was just panting and he's like please kill this guy i'm exhausted uh and <laughs> and the the buck just kind of stopped and i was at full draw and i broke the shot and he was so close and it was just my first it was my first buck and i just remember hearing the arrow hit him and it was, uh, he was quartering to me a little bit and I can remember just the noise of the arrow passing through him and the, the air leaving his lungs and he popped up in the air and he took off and I was just shaking like crazy. And he ran right by that monster buck, which I was so loaded with adrenaline. Everything happened so fast. I didn't even realize that monster buck had actually creeped back towards us and was checking out what was going on. And he was standing there. I'm watching my deer run away. Meanwhile, the biggest deer I'd ever seen is standing 20 yards away um, and <laughs> I couldn't do anything about it because I didn't have another another tag and uh you know I just uh called my dad my cousins came and met up with me we tracked the deer in uh in the dark it was a, uh you know the blood trail was just crazy and just being able to recover my first year with my cousins there and and that whole process and, and just being there for, for that and sharing it with family is, is still, you know, uh, you, you never forget that, that first one. And it was, uh, you know, it, it was everything you could want from it. Well, maybe if I had gotten the bigger one, it would have been everything you could want from it, but it was, uh, it's good enough for me. It's the size of the memory, not the size of the antler, right? That's right. And that's a big memory. That, that's it. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a great story. I like that the big guy came back around and, and was able to, like, you were able to witness him and you were like, well, fuck it. I shot this other one. Like, it's all good. That's great. Well, he still, and what was, he just hung around. I, I, I the first thing I did after, you know, it was, I called my dad and cause he was like, I took my first animals ever with like, my dad's my hunting buddy, you know, like it just always has been. And that was the first thing I did was I called my dad. And I was like, dad, I just, I got a buck with a bow. And I'm staring at a monster right now. Like, <laughs> and I'm like, just talk me out of doing something unethical right now. Like, you know, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, it was, you know, it was just, it was great. You know, it, it was great that, you know, we, my family's got a little patch of property up there and, um, you know, we've just had some great memories. It, it doesn't produce the biggest year, but you know, if I could every year, like I make sure to just block off some time and go up there and, it's just, you know, we'll, we do the real like old school Italian thing where we'll hunt in the morning. We'll all have lunch together. Right. And a nice big lunch, maybe a glass of wine and, you know, take a little siesta and then go back up to the mountain. And, uh, you know, just those memories of, uh, of doing that every year is, uh, you know, I would rather do that than the the craziest, uh, craziest adventure trip. That's cool. It is about that camaraderie and those good times and yep. the tradition that you, you know, sometimes there's somebody said about the blazing a trail and going on a new adventure. That's awesome. That's a big thing that I'm drawn to, but almost Absolutely. equally it's the, the tradition of hunting with the tradition the of hunting you know. with, with friends and family that you're mm-hmm. real close with. I think that 
that takes precedence over over the the adventure sometimes. Well, that's a good story, dude. Thanks Absolutely. so much for sharing that with us and, and all of your knowledge and advice. And you're probably gonna get a whole bunch. Well, maybe not. We probably got like one listener of the whole entire podcast. So you might get like one new person messaging you for new questions. It'll be me. I'm the listener. <laughs> right. Because we're only the okayest podcast. So, you know, uh, well, I welcome it. And I, and you know, tell anybody listening, like posts and stuff, jump in on the comments. It's, it's a really positive community. You know, everybody's got different experiences and that's one of the things I want to keep fostering is like, we, we all bring our experiences to the table. And, you know, I always say like, don't just take my word for any of this stuff. You know, there, there are guys that are way more experienced than me and, and, you know, all we can do is take the lessons of, of other people and just kind of adapt it to, you know, what works for, for you and your system and your, your means and budget. So, um, right. you know, I, I welcome everybody that, that jumps on board. Heck yeah. How do people find you? Where can they go? Where should they go? Where do you want to point them? Yeah, so uh, the Instagram page is uh, Knights of the Apex, Knights with a, a K, and you'll see the, the logo. It's uh, Coda with a little arrow running through it. That's for sure where, uh, where I'm probably most active. It's, you know, that page is just, it's me sharing like what I'm working on, like buddies, bows, arrows, things like that. It's, it really is just what I'm doing at the time. Uh, and then we do have a, a YouTube channel that's, that's also Knights of the Apex, um, where we'll do some reviews and longer format things that like, I'll, I try to make content based on what I get the most DMs about, you know, and the most interest about like, so there's only so much you can cover in an Instagram post, you post it and it's gone. Right. So right. I try to use the YouTube channel to, so there's a, a kind of a library I can point people to, to like, Hey, like I cover this in, in that thing. Um, because you can't always get to the DMs, unfortunately. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Well, that's great. Thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on our show. And, um, you know, I think it was really knowledgeable, man. Like I, I'm going to have to go back and listen again to this one. You better listen to it at least three, four times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that's it. It was an honor. And yeah, I, uh, I know I bounced around a lot. So hopefully, you know, people were able to, to gain something from it. No, you did great. And uh, we'll end the live feed now. Hey guys, Taryn Hunt here with eHunter.com. Back again this week with your news articles. For last week, we had some really good articles up on the website. Hopefully you guys were able to check those out. Um, I'll give you a quick rundown of what we had. Um, Again, you can go to the website eHunter.com. That's E-H-U-N-T-R.com. And check out any of these articles and read more about them. The first two articles that I'm going to touch on today are really general articles for the entire United States. Uh, the first one is that Congress is helping with um, animal big game migration. Um, they have passed a bill that is providing uh, several states in the West uh, money to help with uh, migration corridors. Uh, there are some specific examples in the uh, in the article about how um, these migration corridors help animals travel safely. It's it's great for the animals. It's also great for commuters as well for uh, safety purposes. The next one is a really cool article. This was just uh, recent. Um, The Senate actually passed the Great American Outdoors Act. For us as hunters and conservationists, this truly is a win. If you're not familiar with this act, go on to our website, check out that article, read about that act. Um, Again, huge win for us as hunters and conservationists. It's kind of nice to have a win once in a while. All right, now we'll get a little bit more state-specific 
Um, I'm going to start up in Washington. Uh, we had an article posted recently, uh, a couple of months ago, as well as a podcast that we published with Anise Audi um, talking about hunting competition bans in Washington and possible bans. Now, you guys are probably familiar. There's been many states across the United States that have banned hunting competitions. Uh, a lot of people kind of gravitate towards coyote calling competitions. Um, Washington is playing around with the idea of banning these as well. And so there has been an update to what their, their ideas are and uh, some of the public um, input that they received and how they're going to implement some of this. So if you're a hunter in Washington, if you live in Washington, um, or if you just like doing hunting competitions and Washington is kind of on that list of yours, check out that article. Move over to Wyoming next. Um, we did an article, this is kind of an interesting, an interesting one, um, it was a comparison between energy um, production and mule deer and how the effects of energy production things such as uh, solar panel fields, um, wind farms, things like that, how those impact the, the migration of mule deer um, and does it impact uh, mule deer. So really interesting if, if you're uh, interested in that kind of a thing, if you're interested in mule deer, that's a great article for you to check out. Um, it, it's amazing the things that affect animals, things that we don't really even think about. In fact, the, the article starts off with energy production and mule deer and it, with a question mark. Like that's just something that we don't normally think about, but a very interesting article. Again, go check that article out. The last two are in Colorado. Uh, first is we we do have a wolf update in Colorado. I know wolves in Colorado is a huge topic. We've done a couple articles, um, well, many articles and a couple podcasts on the wolves in Colorado and the impact that they are having and may have. And this is coming to a vote this coming November. So hopefully everybody is aware of that and will go and vote how you feel you need to vote. But um, we do we did release a new wolf update uh, on the wolves that are here and have been confirmed here in Colorado. I say here is because I'm a resident of Colorado. Um, but uh, I think that's one that y you'll want to look up. We A lot of our listeners are uh, hunt Colorado, and Colorado is a great destination state for hunting. And so if you ever want to look at hunting Colorado and want to, are interested in that possibility, you ought to check out this article and see what the wolves are doing here. And the last one is kind of a, a an interesting, uh, not really hunting related, but it does relate to wildlife. And that is uh, in Colorado Springs, actually in the, the town that I live in, uh, there was a bear that entered into the home of a resident and... Um, they call the the fishing game, and they end up coming to the CPW. They came out and um, actually had to euthanize the bear uh, due to what it, you know, basically it did a breaking and entering into a person's home. Um, I apologize. I, I snicker a little bit at it. I'm sure it was probably a scary situation, and it's sad to see a bear get euthanized uh, because of it. But we have a lot of bears here, and uh, many times around our home we, we see bear. Uh, it's just kind of a, a normal sight, but interesting that one was able to get into somebody's house. And uh, yeah, the outcome was what it was. So anyways, those are your articles for last week. Again, hope you guys enjoy this little segment. Appreciate you guys doing this. Appreciate um, Eric and the Where to Hunt guys for putting this in their podcast. And uh, if you guys have any questions, reach out to me. My, uh, my email is terronh, that's T-E-R-R-O-N-H at ehunter.com, E-H-U-N-T-R.com. Thanks, guys.
What's up everyone? Thanks for sticking around to the end again. Uh, this is Anthony Heller with Deervane, and this week's tip of the week is to plan your stand locations based on predominant winds, which is also based on the time of year. And what I mean by that is in Wisconsin, the predominant wind in uh, early season is southwest. So September to mid, maybe late October, the typical wind direction is gonna be southwest. And then as you move into the season, it becomes more Northwest in Wisconsin. So, and also cold fronts bring a, generally bring a Northwest wind as well. So if I'm planning early season hunting locations, I'm going to just go ahead and assume that it's a Southwest wind. If I'm planning hunting locations for a cold front, I'm gonna set those up for a Northwest wind. Or if I'm planning hunting locations for scrapes, the rut, or late season hunts, I'm going to assume those are Northwest winds as well. Just because it's the odds are likelier that that's gonna be the wind. So when I set those up, I have a higher chance of them being good for when I go in for that time of year. So I hope that helps and you guys can use that to your advantage this fall and, uh, and have some good sits. Catch you guys later. All right, guys, gals, this is the end of the show. So I'm going to get in some announcements. I figured I put it at the tail end. Uh, I switch it up every now and again. But if you made it this far, thanks so much for listening to this week's episode. Uh, great content, I think. Uh, our partners at eHunter and DeerVane are great. They're putting in some awesome content, too, to keep us informed and keep us thinking on our toes. Uh, two big, uh, up, well, one big update, one big announcement. One announcement is we just launched our Tactic Talk new mini series segmentation whatever you want to call it uh it's it will never be more than 15 minutes and uh short of the intro theme music there is no bullshit there's no uh chewing the fat shooting the breeze whatever you want to call it having a bs session uh, we do that offline and then we just get into the the tactic so right to the bone out of the gate quick hit 15 minutes uh, if it ends up being longer, I'll chop it into an additional episode um, and keep it under 50 minutes. So it'll never be more than 50 minutes. It could be, you know, 10 minutes or seven minutes or whatever. Uh, but I want to keep these sound bites snackable. There's so many good podcasts out there. I certainly don't think we're going to do one better than anybody. So I want to do something different. And with that much saturation uh, filling your ear holes on a regular basis, there's only so much time in a day. So I wanted to give you the stuff that people are after, the guys that are leveling up their hunts and trying to take things seriously by interviewing the, the guys and gals that are getting it done. I'm not one of those people yet. I'm learning, I'm working on it, and I have very limited time. So why not talk to the people that are doing it, that do have the time, and just pick their brains deeply and quickly so that's what that is. That'll air every week uh, going forward midweek sometime, probably like Wednesday or Thursday, uh, right alongside our, our most memorable hunts. Those usually air on the weekends. So we capture great stories from people and we produce those with some good audio content behind it and polish it up. Um, so that that's fun stuff. And then our Patreon giveaway, our first one, we're going to do these every three months. We'll announce a winner every three months. Uh, to enter, if you go to our Instagram page and click on the link in the bio, it'll take you to a whole bunch of stuff. But the one that says giveaways is the one that you want. Oh, I got a breath. And we're going to give away um, six custom arrows built to your specs from Vector Custom, Vector Custom Shop. Three months of Backwoods Grind Coffee. So a subscription to their coffee, the fl whatever flavor you like, whatever blend. 
Uh, we're going to give away some swag from Venado, one hoodie, one t-shirt, and one hat, and uh, some free butchering of meat of your choice from Outdoor Addiction Taxidermy, and one free t-shirt from the OKest Hunter. Also, the big ticket item for this giveaway is a tethered phantom saddle. So one winner will take all of that stuff. As we roll forward with the next giveaway, we're probably going to do a first and second place winner. Um, and we're considering adding, uh, if you go to Patreon and you subscribe, if you double up your subscription for $10 a month instead of five, you can get double entries. So you can increase your odds for winning as the group gets bigger. Right now we're at 12. So it's growing kind of quick. I think we've been at it for two-ish months and we're at 12 people. So the odds are still really, really good for this first giveaway. If you're in that, there is still time. We're going to take submissions all the way up until uh, June 29th. And then we're going to do the announcement on June 30th, end of day. So that is what I have for announcements and updates and all that good stuff. Um, actually, there is one more. So next week on the show, we're going to be talking with guest Jacob Emery. And we're going to probably cover, uh, it's going to be very public land centric. And we might cover water access and the different ways you can do that. So uh, that topic might change or expand or uh, contract a little bit. We'll see where we end up, but we look forward to doing this every week live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Sometimes Instagram is kind of finicky. Uh, it's just the way that it works, but thanks for tuning in. We hope everybody has a great day and a great week. Enjoy your, enjoy your uh, time outdoors this summer and go catch some fish in public. <laughs>